in episode 105 of Friends of Film, a podcast covering latest news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover DC Films' new president, Captain Marvel casting, introduce a new segment, and more after we review Molly's Game. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Aaron Sorkin's biggest fan, Josh Straley. I don't know about biggest fan. But a pretty big one. A pretty big one. I don't have a podcast dedicated to him yet. But hey, uh, you can... Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Friends in Film, and be sure to check out the rest of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you can, leave us a review. It really helps. Yes, it would. And uh, this week, as we mentioned, we're going to review Molly's Game, the directorial debut by Aaron Sorkin. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the new year, in addition to doing some new things with the podcast, we also started a website uh, where we're going to be doing written reviews. There are two up. Uh, as of the time of this recording, there's going to be three up by the time you guys can hear this um, with All the Money in the World and The Shape of Water currently being out. But this week, Josh did the written review for Molly's Game, and he's going to kick us off this week. So you guys may have already read his review, but what are your thoughts on Molly's Game, Josh? They're they're fairly good, and I was I went back and forth on this movie during its production, during its marketing, and then... Ultimately, when we did our anticipated for the fall, it was it, your number one, it right? It its way up to number one because I realized that it was different than Steve Jobs. It was Sorkin kind of going back to his social network and money ball mm-hmm. formulas. Um, oh, we should say this is non-spoiler. If we get into spoilers, there'll be a timestamp in the description for yes. spoilers. You guys can skip that if you haven't seen it yet. But anyways, continue. Right. So this is like the true story of Molly Bloom, who uh, I just now i'm like totally fascinated by Mm -hmm. i mean after seeing this movie but and it was a movie made for aaron sorkin's type of uh you know type of writing the our main character is someone who's hyper intelligent uh proactive smart like just a complete hustler and who's doing things her own way Mm -hmm. and that's and that's just who he who he writes so well someone who is above not above it all but knows what they want and is going after it. And Jessica Chastain is what makes this movie uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorkin has a phenomenal star here and she just uh, is fantastic as Bloom. Witty, s- snarky, um, not going to let anybody get in her way. Uh, takes on, you know, those who are like trying to keep her down and it, uh, is really terrific. Um, the film, the movie itself, uh, is a little long though. Okay. It's t- two hours and 20 minutes. And when Sorkin can get wordy, um, a lot of the times we're, we're finding ourselves having a disc- they're, they're finding themselves having discussions about things that are totally not relevant to the movie at all. Um, just throw away things about Idris Elba's daughter that don't really seem to connect to the overall story. And you're thinking, okay, we're meandering here talking at length about the crucible and uh, other things like that. So um, that's where we do lose some of it but where it does live and why i was totally fascinated by is the poker playing aspect of the movie because 
I don't play poker. You don't. Okay. I'm bored by it. Really? I, anytime I see it on TV, I'm like, why is this on there? Who could possibly <laughs> be watching other people play poker? Doesn't that take like you know? I always I always approach it with a soccer method. Um, I love playing it, but I still don't can't sit down it. and watch it. All right, like 2K, love that. Oh yeah, but. Anytime it's on TV, or if I'm not personally playing it, no big deal. <laughs> but he made poker exciting in this. Um, the about maybe 45 to a half hour of the movie is just poker playing. Mm-hmm. Um, Molly, of course, is, has set up the games, not actually participating, but the cast of characters they have around the table, um, you know, playing and. You know, just table talking and uh, going back and forth is one of the highlights. And mm. Michael Sarah, who plays, who's playing himself, I guess, even though it's not explicitly said. Yeah, they make it seem like it. Yeah, he's playing himself. It's just as this, you know, unassuming personality. But when he shows up to play poker, he's out for blood, mm-hmm. and it is f- uh, phenomenal, or just so funny and f- uh, fun to watch him. Uh, table talk people you know he's like swearing on his mother's life he's like dude i have you beat and then just to like show his cards which <laughs> yeah. is like a two and a five and you know uh just totally shake down who's ever across the table from him but i learned how poker work uh during this but also like there were phrases and banter and jargon that i was just kind of like i don't know exactly what was just said by chastain mm-hmm. here because she's describing it all to us and using uh sort of like visual A's on the screen yeah. and stuff, which I was weary about at first, but it, it works in the end because we kind of helps us, you know, follow along. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, I don't understand a single thing, but it sounded awesome. And that <laughs> dude is happy and just won the pot. So like that, that's awesome. And then you kind of get to see people go, uh, what they call full tilt, who just like loses yeah. his mind and oh, starts so betting. Uh, yeah. So it was like a, a quick dive into everything that can go right and go wrong in high stakes poker. Mm-hmm. And it was really fascinating. Um, Idris Elba is also great in this movie. Uh, probably the funniest part of the movie. I mean, outside of, he's got some good poker. comedic moments. Yeah, yeah, he does. And just from being the, I kind of don't want to be here type of an attitude, which he starts off it with. Um, and then that leads to a few great moments in the beginning and definitely, uh, near the end. So, uh, all in all, it's really a great comeback from him after Steve Jobs yeah. and the, whatever, you know, I mean, it was just that, that fragmented nonsense, uh, that was the, uh, the only other t- thing about the movie that really just kind of drug the whole thing down was the arc of Molly's father played mm-hmm. by Kevin Costner. He, he's in the background of most of the movie. And we knew he was hard on her, and that's part of the drive, and I think that's some of the connection with Idris Elba's daughter there. Mm -hmm. But it's ultimately an unearned... It it becomes a a distraction from Molly's journey, Um, especially near the end when Costner shows up after not speaking to his daughter for what I guess seems like a decade, right? at least what what the movie leads us to believe. And there's an unearned reconciliation that that I don't know how Molly gets to that because Costner shows up just to kind of be a jerk. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he condescends to her a little bit like, I'm going to give you 
three years of therapy in three, three minutes. minutes. I was yeah. like, really? This is your daughter, and that's how you're gonna go? Okay, you know. But it's it's classic Sorkin. Yeah. But it, I just didn't feel like it worked right there. Okay. Um, because he, he he does still have. He doesn't have a woman problem as much in this movie, but it's still a little bit evident with that relationship <laughs> right there. But uh, but all in all, I really enjoyed it. I give it three out of five ticket stubs. Three out of five? Three and a half out oh, of five ticket stubs. Okay. Yes. There we go. Um, I thought Sorkin delivered very, very well with mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, I was really, really impressed, especially as a directorial debut. Yes, he's a writer. You know, Oscar nominated, Oscar winner, Oscar win. Yeah, he won Os- for Oscar, Oscar winning uh, screenwriter. So it's no surprise to see him be able to make the jump. But at the same time, you never know because it is a different animal when you're jumping from writing a movie to now directing it and dealing with the lighting and dealing with you know acting and dealing with all that <laughs> other stuff. Um, but I think it really it was very evident to me in the first sequence it's the it's the very it's the very first sequence that we see it's molly in her pre-poker days when she's trying to qualify for the olympics and it's all voiced over by chastain except for like one brief sentence from costner and just like this is sorkin like it feels like it um and even like very instantly i felt sorkin's energy even in the editing of the movie um how i I, I know you thought it, it bogged down a little bit in, in its runtime, but I thought it really fly, it really flew by. Oh, okay. I thought it was, it was paced really, really well. I thought um, a lot of those poker sequences later in the movie, they were edited and they felt like Ocean's Eleven, yeah. Steven Soderbergh-like, um, mm. which I was, I was a huge fan of. And yeah, I mean, I loved just watching them all play poker because it was fun. They they were like an interesting character group, um, and Michael Sarah was great in that mm-hmm. as well. But I mean, really, it is Chastain. Jessica Chastain is, I mean, she's just so good in this movie. Uh, she uh, gives a great performance that should and hopefully will be recognized at the Oscars. She also looks incredible throughout the entire movie. Um, and then you know. But really, it's her journey, um, you know, starting off as just like somebody's like, all right, you know, I'm a dropout Olympian right. <laughs> at age 22 or whatever. I want to do something else that's not, you know, go to law school. Mm-hmm. It's like I liked that element where you get to see her rise through the ranks and start off as just an assistant and then, you know, form her own games. And then all the trouble that ensues because of that, uh, I thought was really fascinating. Uh, and then, you know. The thing I was most concerned about um, when we talked about the trailers was how they were going to tell this story. Oh, yeah. Because... You're not a flashback fan. I'm not a huge flashback fan, but it can work if done correctly. And I thought this one worked really, really well. Oh, um, because it wasn't just like random cutbacks. It was always they would cut back to a scene um, that was reinforcing what she's doing now or that would lead to what she was going to do next. Um, so I thought that was really smartly done. There, It gets a little bogged down. I liked, I think, the Kevin Costner dad arc more than you did, but I still think it gets bogged down a bit with, you know, there's maybe one or two extra flashbacks. It's like, okay, I didn't need that one necessarily. I already see where this is going. Um, and I liked the reconciliation okay. between her and her father because – uh, it was such a motivating factor for her, um, even if it was in the back of her mind. And even if it was a little kind of out of the blue that he just like shows up and like, they're yeah. like, okay, we're, we're going to get, you know, be happy family now. But 
at the same time, I thought Chastain and Costner were both great in the scene. Mm-hmm. It was written really well, acted really well, and I was like, that that's going to make it work, even if it's a little bit forced, potentially. Sure. But at the same time, I am led to believe that it that that scene did happen in real life, so I can't be like, well... <laughs> sure. I mean, if it wasn't, then too, that, that could knock it a little dumb. bit, but... Okay. Um, I really just thought all the performances were really, really great. Um, and then the only other problem I had probably outside of maybe a little too much Costner at certain points was um, Molly in the later parts of her poker running career, whatever you want to call it, she you know becomes addicted to drugs and she gets caught up in some bad stuff. And I felt like that stuff was really glossed over and just kind of been like, all right, she's addicted to drugs right now. Something bad happens. Don't address it ever again. You're like, oh, felt like you undercut it a little bit because the rest of the movie was very um, fast-paced and quippy and more lighter, even though it was dealing with some darker parts. But yeah. by the time it got to that, I was just like, okay, you you kind of just skipped over that. And I thought it should have been a – it seemed like it was a big part to Molly's character – and so for that part to just get glossed over so quickly, I thought was a bit of a misstep. Yeah, the yeah, that's a really good point. They they hone more in on the Russian mob showing up mm-hmm. than sort of a decline that allows her to get careless and you know the, right. the mob members to it. You know, get involved in her games like she thinks she makes a reference to later to uh, federal prosecutors. Yeah. So yeah, there's a there's a side of her character that is glossed over. Yes. You know, tremendously. But. Then again, like at the same point, like I loved getting to see like, you know, all the hints of who was actually involved with this in real life. I mean, the assumption is that um, player X, player Michael Cera is Tobey Maguire. But then, you know, Ben Affleck, DiCaprio, Damon have also been linked to this. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they they reference a famous Yankee player. Yeah. (laughs) which is pretty obviously A-Rod. So just like kind of connecting the dots as you watch the movie is really fun to do as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in the theater. I will definitely watch it again. And it is a four and a half ticket stub out of oh, five. Wow. Okay. I will not be surprised if the movie gets, you know, I could see it getting maybe best picture nomination, uh, Sorkin for best, I guess it'd be adapted screenplay. Yeah. Um, and then Chastain and even Elba. So his, his, um, scene with the other two um lawyers mm-hmm. where he's basically like he goes to bat for molly yep. it's like just so good um one of the best sequences for elba i think in his career which is just like that could get it right there on yeah. that moment alone that was like that brought me back to like stringer bell days from the wire and it was just you know he plays lawyer in that yeah. too obviously a little bit more crooked and not as straightforward but uh just the uh the, I can't believe I'm having to deal with this type right. of attitude was so good. And then the um, the joke in there, I'm still laughing about it, how the prosecutor are just like, they're digging through text oh, messages. Yeah. <laughs> and Elba's like, what sets Elba off is like, it's like, but why does the Russian mob keep saying, get Molly, bring Molly, need, need Molly. Molly. <laughs> and he's like, Molly, the drug. Or no, well, Chastain, Chastain mentions it, yeah. that. And then Elba's just like, I've never seen two people stepping in it as hard as you two did. <laughs> And then that he goes off, yeah. but yeah, uh, that was, that was a great moment. Yeah. Uh, do you have any spoiler thoughts you want to get into, or I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. We don't need to get into it. I don't think what will be a spoiler thought. Just that she know. gets arrested and gets a, and ends I up mean, getting off. I guess of so. Charges. Yes. Yeah. So but, I uh, did like the. Um, it was a little. 
it was, I don't know if the exact words of the judge were, hey, Wall Street, I hate them, so right. I'll let you off. I don't know if that's because I'm, I'm seeing a court I would, transcript. I would, but yeah, I would assume it's on it's public record. Yeah, I I did try to look it up, okay. but you got to pay and it takes oh, time. Yeah, so yeah. I, just, I abandoned that pretty quickly. Right. But if that is how it went down, that is that is amazing. <laughs> it <laughs> so, really is. And I can't, yeah, the looks on the faces of the of the two uh, you know, just realizing, oh, well, this was all for nothing type of a right. deal. It was hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that those are our thoughts on Molly's game. Uh, obviously, we both recommend it, even if, you know, I liked it probably a little more than Josh Which did. Which is surprising. But... I was I was surprised when I read your review that you were not as high on it. Um, but you are the bigger Sorkin fan, so maybe you are critiquing him. Um, with a more of a harsher grading scale, potentially. I mean, it's... Social Even though I think I think just... you would grade it easier since you're a bigger fan, but I I don't know, I don't know what happened. I'm a huge fan of Social Network. Molly Mon- Molly Ball Moneyball <laughs> Moneyball is one of my favorite this... movies. Yeah. Um. So uh, Sorkin Sorkin's great. It was a great first outing for him. And that, for yeah. sure. Hopefully Props. he will return to the director's chair uh, yeah, sooner rather than later. One or two projects already lined oh, up. Really? Allegedly. One Perfect. John, another biopic about John Edwards. Okay. Called the Politician. So. We'll see. All righty. So, yeah, those are our thoughts and review of Molly's Game. Uh, head over to the site, friendsandfilm.blogspot.com to read Josh's written review in full. Um, we'll be right back in a bit with the news. back with the news but instead of starting with the news technically we're going to introduce a new segment that we're going to start after each break every single week uh, as best we can called ticket or skip it uh, it's pretty self-explanatory basically we're going to look at some trailers and tell you guys whether we would buy a ticket for this movie or skip it and then you know if it's a netflix trailer or something buying a ticket would be like Maybe we'll change it to like click it or skip it. I don't know. <laughs> but that's the premise of take it or skip it, basically. We're going to look at the trailers. We have three this week and tell you whether or not we are going. We would buy a ticket for this movie or skip this movie in theaters or even skip it altogether. Um, and the first one we have, if you listen to our most anticipated of 2018 list last week, it was an honorable mention by the one and only Josh Straley. Slenderman got its first trailer this week. Would you... Ticket or skip it? Ticket. Because, I mean, I, I, it was an honorable mention. I, I'm boxed in here. I can't even change my mind <laughs> after putting the trailer. But, I mean, well, I guess I've seen the first look, so I could change my mind now. Yeah. But, no, I'm I'm still on the ticket train. because I'm still buying a ticket to this train. Sure. Um, it, it doesn't make – the trailer doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all. No. There is no exposition. It's all just images. But you can – if you've heard the urban legend, you can sort of parse out what's going on. Slenderman is a guy who hangs out in the dark forests, and if you have a face-to-face contact with him, he sort of like infects you or you become under his control like a slave, mm-hmm. and he'll start to do things. And it looks like this movie is based off of the Slenderman case that ended up happening in like 2014 where mm-hmm. a girl 
or two girls stab another girl and they yeah. blame it on Slender Man. You know, it, yeah. So it lo- that's so that seems to be the story here. But what else? Like everything else that's happening just looks, you know, psychedelic and c- completely confusing. Yeah. Uh, you only get one look at Slenderman, which is disappointing. Um, and it wasn't even that great of a look. There's just one frame. When I see the movie eventually, hopefully, you know. Well, you're buying a ticket for it. Exactly. So, so I assume so. <laughs> yes. So hopefully that's brought out more um, because ultimately I want to see Slenderman in fall, you know, doing more Slenderman-y things than just like looking at people and them going berserk. Okay. But what about you, Cooper? Ticket or skip it? This is definitely a skip it for Ooh. me. Uh, trailer did nothing. Uh, I'm not really interested in this to begin with, but then, I mean, yeah, like you said, the trailer is just like random images, and it's like, this literally doesn't tell me anything about the movie. Yeah, I know about, like, the story of Slenderman, and then, like, you know, since the trailer came out this week, the father of the victim from the 2014 case, you know, publicly, um, you know, voiced his disapproval of this movie, saying they're profiting off his daughter's death, and um, so that's a little awkward, or... um, which made me feel uncomfortable watching the trailer a little bit because it's like, yeah, it does seem like they are doing this same sort of story. And since it is a, it, it's based on real life, however you want to believe that, mm-hmm. whether, you know, I don't believe Slenderman's a real thing, but to those two girls, it was, or yeah. at least that's what they're saying. So to have that aspect, I just think it's, it's it maybe a little too soon. It's a little too real. Plus it just looks just like a bad movie. Um, so I'm definitely not going to buy a ticket for it. Even if, you know, I just signed up for movie pass this week. Oh, yes. Um, so I'll wait four months to get my, my card (laughs) and, (laughs) but even, even then I wouldn't even use my movie pass probably to go watch this movie. Okay. So that is, uh, the first trailer. Second trailer we have is death wish, which is actually its second trailer. This one is directed by Eli Roth and stars Bruce Willis. It's a remake of a uh, previous franchise from like the 80s or 70s or something. Uh, Star Charles Bronson, I believe. And uh, this one just features Bruce Willis. His family dies, and then he goes out for revenge. He becomes basically a vigilante with a gun. And again, I think the real world aspects of this is a little weird. Um, so as far as ticket or skip it. I would lean towards a skip it, even though I could maybe see myself using a movie pass to see this one. But I just think it looks just a little, I don't know if that's a good message to send where, okay, your family dies. Terrible tragedy. Absolutely. But this movie is basically imploring people to pick up arms and go on a manhunt, but not only kill those people, but then stop any crime they see happening with a gun and it's like that just raised so many problems. Like it looks like the movies may address that because it's like, is he a vig- is he a hero or not? And it's yeah. like, okay, if you if you if you go really into that, it, this could be an interesting commentary. But I doubt that's what this movie is going to be. So at this point, I'm going to again say skip it. Hmm, yeah, I will. I'm going to say I'm skipping it too. Okay. I, Bruce Willis is great, but him, he's his leading action day action movie days they're they're sunsetting and this looks kind of like a a final cry you know um a last stand and i'm not really about it at all 
whether or not, you know, real world implications, do we need vigilantes? Well, you know, taking second amendment extremes, things like that. That all can be talked about, but it just doesn't look, it just doesn't look good. It yeah. looks like, it looks like every Liam Neeson movie ever. And Bruce Willis is like, I want to get in on that. You know, I want some of that money. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Pass. Okay. Another skip it. This will not, that was another skip it. Both a unanimous skip it for Death Wish. And our final trailer this week in Ticket or Skip It is Truth or Dare, the uh, the party game turned into a horror movie by Blumhouse. Josh, will uh, you Ticket or Skip It? Big time Skip It. Um, there's, there's nothing appeal. I mean, I'm over horror movies as a for the most part. Okay. You know, that don't have something compelling other than just teenagers getting involved in gruesome business and that's exactly what this looks like uh some of the things happening are like oh that's probably funny to a 16 17 year old (laughs) but you know i'm pushing 23 and i'm kind of above it now uh you know i'm sure jeff ladlow did a good job directing i'm not familiar with any of his other works but you're just literally assuming (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so you know yeah skip it Okay, uh, I will make it, you know, trifecta, skip it again. Um, What's up with those Joker weird smile faces? It just, I I understand the concept they're going for, but just the look of it, it looks so bizarre. Like the very final shot of the trailer, I think that's Lucy Hale, who's like the lead of the movie. Yeah. But her face is literally so unrecognizable because of the crazy Joker smile she has that I can't tell. It's like... That's weird thing to do. And the blacked out pupils too. Yeah. And like, yeah, like they like, I don't know. It just, it's an interesting concept. Like, like, I like, I like the premise of truth or dare is like a legit thing. And now like the game is going to haunt you. That could work. But I just don't think this movie is going to execute in the right way where like (laughs) it's going to be anything better than like maybe a decent, you know, C-list horror movie that, like, if I was really bored yeah. and it was on Netflix, I'd be like, all right, let's see the first 20 minutes of this right. and then make my decision. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, uh, three skip-its for me this week. Josh had one ticket for Slenderman and skipping the other two. So that's it for the, our first segment of Ticket or Skip. Uh, hopefully you guys liked it and we'll be doing it uh, more as we progress throughout the year. And now we're going to move into our actual news segment. And this week we got official confirmation from Netflix that a sequel to Bright is coming. Uh, they confirmed that Will Smith and Joel Edgerton are returning to star, to star as Ward and Jacoby, um, with David Ayer set to write and direct the sequel. Um, we talked about the sequel possibility a couple weeks ago. Now that it's official, Josh, do you think this is good news for Netflix? I uh, okay. Let me say this: Do I think it's good news for Netflix to get Will Smith and Joel or, Edgerton? Joel Edgerton back. Oh, by the <laughs> and way, Orc Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Orc Man. Side note: Saw Midnight Special. Joel yeah, Edgerton, very good in that. He's movie. very good. Um, very good movie. Okay. Do I think it's great for Netflix that they got these two back? David Ayer is attached to direct a sequel to Bright. And write it this time. And write it this time. So Max Landis is out. Yeah. Okay. Um, and now David Ayer is writing. That formula right there is great for Netflix. David Ayer writing, Landis out, two great stars back. 
Now, do I think this movie should be made? Should Do I think subscribers to Netflix should rise up to stop this movie from being made? Yes, absolutely. Really? Turn, turn it into something else. Uh, not bright, not now. Make a make a hardened cop movie with these two people and, and David Ayer, because Bright was just, it was so it was so average with such a ridiculous premise mm-hmm. that the um they try and the racial message that they tried to like spit out with it falls as flat on his face <laughs> as possible. I keep thinking of. Will Smith's fairy lives don't matter line and you know it's just it gets it gets ridiculous it gets more ridiculous over time so unless there's like a huge promise at the outset of this that like we're gonna we're gonna bump this up to 10 but in a good way not just more explosions (laughs) and things like that um then I'd be like all right let's do it but yikes man no not I mean not interested not interested in seeing it I'll watch it You'll watch, okay. I'll watch it. I, I liked the first Bright enough to warrant uh, my interest in a sequel just because it is it is different. It's interesting, and it's maybe if I paid $14 to go see it yeah. in IMAX or something, like maybe I wouldn't feel the same way, but mm-hmm. it's literally I like sitting at home on my Netflix feed, and in two years probably, probably I'll open up Netflix one day, and there's going to be Bright 2, and I'll probably watch it just because – why not? Like, you know, it's it's interesting enough. It has Will Smith and Joel Edgerton, two actors I really like. And David Ayer, he's had a couple missteps recently, mm-hmm. but I want to see him return to form. And I'm still rooting for this guy because End of Watch and Fury are so good. Mm-hmm. But also, oh, he, he, Ayer is a little uh, bro-y, I guess you could say. But he's also, like, <laughs> if you follow him on Twitter... He is such an interesting person because, like, people will be like, "Wow, Bright sucks," or "Suicide Squad sucks," and he's just like, "Wow, thanks for your, thanks for your insight." And it's like yeah. he just he takes the punches and he keeps on rolling. And yeah. I want to see him succeed because of that because he's not he's not lashing out or you know doing anything dumb. He's just like, "All right, bring it on." I'll try to do better more next time, and uh, hopefully that will be the case with the sequel because he's already he mentioned like this. Last summer at Comic-Con, people asked him about a potential sequel, what it would be, and he wants to explore more of the uh, original, what is it, Orc and Elf War, mm-hmm. and kind of the history of this world, which I think is could be fascinating, and if they, I don't know if they're going like, to parallel it with the real world and have uh, basically World War Two in this or something, like, I think there are interesting possibilities for this, and it's such a, it's a crazy fantasy realistic world that... I'm sure Eric can think of something that'll at least, you know, pique my interest. Yeah. The reason I say it's great that Ayer's going to be writing this and not Landis is because, number one, Landis wrote a spec script and then got paid and walked out. There's no heart and soul to this movie other than that Ayer could put into it. Mm -hmm. With him writing it, because don't forget, he wrote Training Day, Mm -hmm. um, Dark Blue, and, and not to mention uh, Fury, yeah. End of Watch, and everything. Oh, and the original Fast and Furious. I think he did a pass on, too. Really? Yeah. So Weird. Right? Yeah. It's w- very w- weird. Arguably, you know, the most grounded of the yeah, films. Yeah, that's so true. So that does, I mean, does have a little bit distinct of him. So, and you want to see him return to form. So this gives him the most potential to do that. 
but also it's still in this bright universe. Right. So I, I'm just I'm, I'm not bullish on the prospects. Okay. There's no word on a release date yet, but if we had to put money on it, what do you think comes out first? Gotham City Sirens or Bright 2, both directed by David Ayer as of this moment? I would put money on Bright 2 coming out before Gotham City Sirens because of the shakeup going on at DC right now. Yes, we'll get to that. I would agree with you unless Ayer leaves Gotham City Sirens to continue working with Netflix because he's praised um, how they allow the creative freedom of directors. Mm-hmm. He's kind of criticized DC a little bit yeah. in doing so. Um, and I think I don't. we don't know what Hamada's going to do. We're going to get to that story in a bit, but it wouldn't surprise me if they want to maybe get a female director on Gotham City Sirens because it is a trio of female leads in that. So maybe that's the direction they go, and then Gotham City Sirens could still beat Bright <laughs> it could. to release. That's a good point. But it wouldn't be helmed by David Ayer. So if both are helmed by David Ayer, I think Bright mm-hmm. 2 probably happens yeah. quicker. Because I think Netflix would have a priority on a movie that is, as they are saying, their biggest launch ever. So... For a movie that is, which is estimated at like eleven eleven million viewers in three days, just on TVs. That doesn't include people watching on their laptops or tablets or phones, um, which is which is which is a lot. I, I watch the movie on my phone too. So there so, we go. Yeah, so exactly, you're eleven million to one. Exactly. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> um, and like um, somebody, I think it was Jeff Snyder on Twitter. Uh, he was like, you know, if if this movie came out in theaters and eleven million people saw it, if you put an average ticket price of ten dollars. That's a hundred and ten million dollar opening. Like yeah. that, Ooh. this is a big launch. Um, so it's it's no surprise to see Netflix get a sequel. And one final thing, um, I do agree with Daniel Kibblesmith on Twitter. If they don't call it too bright, they maybe they should just give up. <laughs> too bright. I mean, they did say in the, like Netflix released like a little promotional video. They're like bright two coming soon. They're like maybe not with that title. So. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, but moving on to a story Variety broke this week that Ridley Scott is joining the Disney family potentially as he is in talks to direct the Merlin saga for the Mouse House. Uh, it would be a live action tale that would follow a younger Merlin, the uh, magical wizard from the King Arthur story. Uh, and Variety is reporting this would be Scott's next project if it does indeed, or if the deal does indeed close. So. Josh, yes. Are you interested in a Ridley Scott <laughs> potential trilogy centered mm. around a young Merlin at Disney? Yes. Okay. I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not entirely on board on for the whole trend of we need young, sexy, you know, <laughs> right. versions of all of the the wizards out there, because then young know, Gandalf comes around and who do you get to do that? So nobody cases. can't touch it. Exactly. But we got Jude Law out there as young, young Dumbledore. Dumbledore. So now we have young Merlin. But directed by Ridley Scott, I would be, I would, I would take it that you know, um, it looks and sounds like an interesting pairing. The resources and screenwriting abilities of Disney and Ridley Scott helming the film, absolutely. Uh, but I don't doing Scott doing a trilogy is the thing that just sounds so off the wall. Yeah, like him devoting. Well, maybe he wouldn't do all three, but it sounds right. like they would want a trilogy out of it. Yeah, but I, I'm definitely down for it. How okay. about you? Uh, we'll wait and see. Okay. I 
we just saw King Arthur, and then mm-hmm. you know Stanley Tucci was the drunk Merlin oh, last right. night. Like, uh, I mean, who who's asking for this? Like, are there that big of like you know King Arthur lore fans that were like, oh well, what what was Merlin doing when he was thirteen years mm-hmm. old? Who cares? <laughs> like nobody, nobody cares. Uh, it's I think it's a strange move by Disney to do this movie to begin with. Um, unless they really think there's an untapped market in the olden fairy tale kind of genre stories. Um, but maybe it's just a way for them to, you know, start work with Ridley Scott a little bit because I have this theory. Yeah, and I love this. That thing. I shared this week um, because I was just like trying to think why would Ridley Scott want to do this movie? But also why would I understand why Disney would want Ridley Scott? Yeah, super talented. But why worker. would he necessarily sign up with them because they are kind of they may be a little bit more known as a little more controlled of a studio and not letting directors go as um, right he, crazy as maybe Ridley Scott would want potentially. And this is coming off the heels of him ter- saying Lucasfilm would never want to hire him because yeah, he he's, he's too, too dangerous. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, so my theory is, um, you know, if you look at the last couple of months, Disney bought Fox, Fox owns the alien rights. Ridley Scott has continued to say, how he wants to make another alien movie where, you know, he had the sequel for Covenant already written before Covenant even came out. So he already has a script for that movie. But also this like past week, he said that alien should be a franchise as big as star Wars or star Trek. Like that's how big and crazy it can get. Um, and now that Disney owns Fox, Disney owns the alien rights. If, <laughs> yeah. if Scott wants to make a new alien movie, it's going to be up to Disney. Mm-hmm. But what better way to try to convince them than to make a more family-friendly movie for them, knock it out of the park, and then be like, all right, so I did that, did it really well. Can we do this Alien sequel, reboot, whatever one, whatever he wants to do? Yeah. Um, so that's basically my theory, that Ridley Scott is doing this as a stepping stone to continue making Alien movies for Disney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that too. I mean, like, well, I love, I love the idea of scott playing ball to get a franchise back that fox was pretty determined to say uh yeah no. nope sorry <laughs> not, not happening again sir no um so and then you know uh yeah okay i, I think that's super plausible and i i mean i, I mean, we'll, believe that's how disney operates i mean we'll so. never know unless you know if this movie happens and then they announce an alien continuation directed by scott and he says yeah you normally did that king arthur movie because i wanted to do this like we'll probably never know but that's just my theory on why this would happen in this way uh but speaking of disney they also own marvel studios and deadline revealed this week that dewanda wise has joined the cast of captain marvel there's currently no word on who she is playing but the role has been described as equal to or bigger than supporting uh, and Wise most recently scar- starred in Spike Lee's Netflix series, She's Gotta Have It, which got renewed for a second season as well. So, uh, do you have any familiarity with DeWanda Wise? Are you, do you have any thoughts on who she could be playing or anything? I only knew that she was a part of the new Spike Lee Netflix series, mm-hmm. but that was it because her name came up under the, like, you know, the starring cast under right. like a promo banner. Mm-hmm. But that's it. You told me that you had seen two episodes yes. of the series so far. How is it? How is she? Is it she a comedic role? Is she yeah, more it's, serious? Yeah, it's, it's comedic. Drama? I mean, it's it's uh, it's definitely more of a comedic series from Spike Lee. 
Um, it's it's funny. It's it's interesting. It's basically Dewanda Wise plays this girl who's juggling having three different boys pining after her. Um, oh and so like, you know, all of the relationship complexity is of trying mm-hmm. to deal with one, but then maybe one to be with the other more, but yeah. then also there's this other guy. Um, so it's funny. Um, DeWanda Wise is really charming, but it also, it's starting to dive into some, uh, bigger issues now as it's progressing. I'm, I'm only two episodes in of 10. So I'm sure the last eight episodes, um, probably dive into that stuff more because it, you know, talks about how, you know, basically a females as um, sex objects um, and like are being trophies or, mm-hmm. um, but then also um, living on the streets in New York, being a single woman um, harassment and yeah. all that stuff. Like it's, it's starting to touch on those issues. Um, but then also like, you know um, the PTSD of having like somebody like come after you sort of thing. Um, so it's a really interesting series. I thought Demanda Wise is really good at it from what I've seen so far. So I I can see why Marvel would be like, yeah, let's get you involved. Um, and since she's kind of still an up-and-comer, um, she can come into whatever role she's going to play and solidify that for the long term if that is the ultimate plan. Yeah. Is there a character that is like long term for I believe so. Captain Mar- oh, okay. I believe she'll be playing Monica Rambeau. Ooh. who is a fellow superhero in her own right. Um, she used to, she at one point held the Captain Marvel title in the comics. So uh, if this is the character she would play, we would have Carol Danvers, who is Captain Marvel. We would also have Marvel, who in the comics is the original Captain Marvel. We'd have Monica Rambeau, potentially, who is a Captain Marvel. But then there's also okay. rumors of um, this character, Rick Jones, appearing who at one point was like mentally um, or psychically connected to Marvel. And then he would basically become Captain Marvel. So it looks like Marvel could be intertwining a bunch of Captain Marvel mythology into this movie. Um, And there's also reports that this movie could film in new Orleans, which is Rambo's hometown. So potentially adding credits to this potential possibility. But um, Monica is, mostly known as the hero spectrum she's got a variety of powers she's you know basically carol's best friend in more recent comics um but she can you know basically um turn herself into any form of energy mm-hmm. um whether that's you know ultraviolet x-ray uh, gamma um any type of energy out there control them she can fly has you know the you know kind of regular super speed strength yeah. uh she can phase she can become invisible she has energy blasts uh, but then she also is um re- more recently become connected to the cosmos and has uh hyper cosmic awareness where she can basically sense the entirety Snap. of the galaxy and realize when something is off whether somebody's messed with time or the state of the galaxy or all that stuff so she could maybe hey. help weave in Thanos or be like, we need to jump back in time or whatever it is. Cause this movie takes place in the nineties. Um, so my only potential concern with her being Monica Rambeau would be how Mar it'd be the same thing with how, how are we going to get Brie Larson's Captain Marvel to the present day to fight Thanos, Mm -hmm. but not have her just be like in a coma or just be like, Oh, well she just didn't want to be a hero for 30 years. Like that doesn't work. So, um, how would how are they going to do the same thing with Monica Rambeau potentially? 
Uh, I think it'll probably be intertwined if that is the route, because hopefully they wouldn't do this and give DeWanda Wise that role and then just have it be a one-off character. Which would be a total waste, because I'm looking, I just kind of did a quick Google, yeah. and she looks totally B.A. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, So hopefully she sticks around. Maybe time travel gets shocks them into the present day. It could happen. That would be epic because then everything can stay the same. And they're like, wait, didn't you not have an eye patch 10 seconds ago? Like, <laughs> I have an eye patch now. Yeah, I'm now, now, Nick Fury. Now they just de-age Samuel <laughs> Jackson for forever. Yeah, they're exactly. Like, no, you're permanently 40 years old. <laughs> they, yeah, he dies in the future and they bring the past one back to the well present, to the future. There are... There's a lot of speculation that Avengers 4 involves a lot of time travel because there's been like flashback, flashback scenes, scene, yeah. or what appears to be flashback scenes to the original um, end of Avengers, but also um, Tony Stark's you know, huge Iron Man suit chamber that he has in Iron Man 3, but also flashbacks to like, you know, World War II and Cap is still, you know, just becoming Captain America. Um, it looks like they're going to jump around to a lot of different points in time, maybe mm. even Civil War. Yeah. So maybe how all of this gets involved will be that like Thanos almost basically wins at the end of infinity war. One hero is able to basically take the glove from them, from him. And then that hero starts jumping across time to get people to fight Thanos again in the present day. <gasps> um, Ooh. which would be kind of crazy. It'd be, it'd be really wild. But that could be one way to do it. But it would be an implosion of mag of just insane magnitude if everyone gets wiped out in Infinity War, mm-hmm. except for one person travels yeah. through the past, reconvenes the team, mm-hmm. and that that would be stellar. That's kind of where my mind's at right now with Avengers Four, but we've got plenty of time to figure <laughs> out that right. movie. Uh, <laughs> I'll definitely have a clear picture. After we see Infinity War, but mm-hmm. uh, but you're on board for Dewanda Wise, yes, absolutely. As Monica Rambeau, I mean, everything, yeah. The, uh, yes, I'm gonna definitely have to check out. She's, She's gonna, gonna have, have it. it, yeah. And then, um, but if, if she is Monica Rambeau, that is going to be so cool because this character, yeah, looks like she's pretty dope, legit. Um, so. That brings us to our last news story of the day, that being what the Hollywood Reporter revealed this week, that being Walter Hamada has been named the new president of DC Films. Hamada is a highly regarded executive from New Line Cinema, which is a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, Mm -hmm. um, and he is responsible for bringing it to the big screen this past year. Um, but as well as launching the Conjuring universe. So uh, he's very much involved with a lot of the horror stuff New Line does and looks to be a decent choice um, to try to shepherd in a new age for the DC film universe. Do you think this is good for the DC universe? Yeah, it's a man with a plan who can see trends. And I think getting the film it not only in progress... But seeing the direction he needed to take that horror movie specifically, I mean, he adapted one of the most beloved Stephen King books of all time, kept it true to its core, and got it on the big screen. But not just one massive two-hour film. He did it in two parts. Mm-hmm. Patience. He had that He had that foresight. I mean, I think any director that picked up that story would want right. two films if they're not doing a miniseries or a Netflix mm-hmm. series, Hulu, etc. But... I think that is a great sign. Now, he 
does deal in well plenty of darker shades, which I think you know fits the DC uh, comic mm-hmm. film you know mood. But I I have that's I think it's a good sign. I mean, it's a good indication that some things could be changing there for the better, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think. Um, even though I'm not a horror fan, so I haven't seen most of the stuff that Hamada's EP'd on, with the exception being It, which mm-hmm. is one of the best movies of 2017, honestly. So um, I have it's no surprise to me that this was the guy that they picked. Um, I'm interested to learn if he has, you know, not that it's necessary, but if he has like that, you know, as a kid, I was going to the comic shop every single Wednesday and buying tons of DC comics or if he's just like, I don't really know that much about them, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to look at this from a business perspective, um, a story perspective and go from there not have to worry about, okay, well, how do we, okay, well, we have to get to here. How do we get there? No, we're just going to take it one step at a time. Um, so I want to know more about how his approach is going to be, but he's also in charge of the Conjuring universe, um, which has made something like one point, it's made over a billion dollars on four movies that have a combined budget of less than a hundred million dollars. So he yeah. can, he can make a profit, which Ooh. is something uh, DC needs, especially after justice league. Um, but also he has um, in working with the conjuring universe. Um, he has a close relationship with James Wan, which I think is a good thing because his movies Aquaman is the next one up for DC. It doesn't appear that Hamada was involved early enough to be involved with Aquaman, it sounds more like he came on board during Shazam pre-production and started working and trying to guide him then, which also makes sense because David Sandberg, um, director of Annabelle Creation and Lights Out, both New Line movies, mm-hmm. both EP'd on by Hamada. So he's got really good relationships with DC's next two directors. And I'm sure after Wonder Woman, he's not going to be like, okay, Patty, I need you to change all this stuff. Yeah, He's going to be like, Patty, you do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Just we just need to make sure it's a good story. You come under budget, and we make profit. Like I think that's probably where his mind's going to be at. Um, but I'm really interested to find out what further ramifications this is going to be. Yeah. Do you think Jeff Johns is getting pushed to the sideline at all? It sounds new- like it. He's basically there. Were, there was a report. I think we talked about it a couple months ago that like maybe it was like a month or so ago that um, he was that John Berg was stepping down Mm -hmm. um, and then Jeff Johns is basically just being a uh, advisory and it it, in the uh, press release and all the all the trade reports it said that Jeff Johns will work side by side with Hamada but this would still be different because. Hamada is the guy in charge now. It's not Jeff Johns in charge. It's Hamada's in charge. He'll still have to report to like Kevin Suchahara over at WB um, as long as he sticks around. But Jeff Johns isn't going to have as much say. I would assume it'd be a it'll be a collaboration effort where Hamada worries a, more about okay, how do we Map grow this? this? Yeah. Jeff Johns will come and be like, okay, well here are some stories that you can do with this movie. That can also lay seeds for future movies. Um, I think that's where he's going to fit in more, where he can almost be... I guess Hamada would still be the Kevin Feige, if we want to use that analogy. Mm -hmm. But then Jeff Johns could be like, I don't know, 
James Gunn or something where he comes in and's like, I've got all these crazy ideas for 10 years of cosmic stories. Yeah. Let's map these out. And then it's all, it's all up to Kevin Feige to make sure those work. It'd be all up to Hamada to make sure Jeff Johns's vision works and they can still make tweaks along the way. Um, but it, I, it does appear that Johns will have a smaller role moving forward. Yeah. But if, but if it's, if that smaller role means that Johns is just stacking up story after story, bringing in ideas and directors and people. So Amada can, you know, just, you know, uh, storyboard out the next 20 years of DC movies. Mm-hmm. I think they'd be the better for that too. Especially if, I mean, Laying it all at the feet of one person is never a good idea, ever. And if Amada is handling the, all right, well, let's map this out so we have plenty of time for marketing, um, build up anticipation, things of that nature, and Johns is like, okay, well, now I can totally focus on this aspect. Mm-hmm. Then I think you've got a winning formula, or at least the beginnings of a winning formula, right? Yeah, I think actually the better comparison instead of Marvel would probably would be Lucasfilm structure. Okay. Where Hamada would be the Kathleen Kennedy, mm-hmm. and then Johns would serve as like the story group yeah. people. So, because I don't think he'll be at, involved really at all with choosing directors or actors. He'll probably just come in to be like, oversee the story and make sure it works with the comics or be like, oh, well, we did this in the comics, but you could do this to subvert expectations, do a big twist fans wouldn't expect, but it would still be cool. Um, so I think he's going to basically, John's would be an, an, an advisor to Hamada. Hamada has all of the say, but he can still obviously listen to Jeff John's yeah. advice, um, which would make sense. So uh, do you think now that Hamada is taking over, that we'll get like some sort of announcement of like a slate or more a clear indication of what projects are actually happening or more of a overall state of, all right, you know, cause like a report came out this past week that Lobo and Deadshot, those movies aren't really being considered rightfully so probably, but like, will we get a word on what's the status of Harley versus the Joker yeah. or Gotham City Sirens or, Deathstroke or any of those other projects that are out there um, that aren't like the Batman or the Flash or something. January, February, March, April, May, June, July. Seven months till Comic-Con? Yeah. I would not be shocked if at Comic-Con there's a huge behind-the-scenes reel of Aquaman, a second trailer, a first trailer. However that goes, probably a second trailer. Debut. Prob- and, uh, a, yeah. and a and a two year slate release. I think they'd go more than two years. Well, I'm being conservative. Okay. But yeah, I, I mean, if they do a sl- but a, some kind of slate release there. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Started to ground themselves again because mm, like because we when we did you know I tweeted out our DC yes. lineup prediction that mm-hmm. we did a couple months ago um, to be like hey Hamada if you have any <laughs> right. need any help we've got some ideas yeah. Um, but we already know how 2019 is going to play out. Um, it's it's probably too late in the game to shift Wonder Woman either up or out of 2019 and get another project in, mm-hmm. either in front of Wonder Woman 2 or after Wonder Woman 2 or whatever that is. So it looks like, I mean, we know Aquaman's next up this December. 2019 is going to be Shazam Wonder Woman 2. So I think if they made a slate, it would probably... if they And I think that they'll announce one at Comic-Con because yeah. otherwise, what else do you do there mm-hmm. right. you 
I mean, you'll, you'll have the Aquaman cast there do a panel, show a sizzle reel or behind the scenes footage or something. And, but then like Shazam would probably be done filming at that point. So you could have, uh, maybe like a first look image up here there, but then also bring that cast. Um, and then one woman two will probably be filming at that point. So you could either stop that or make a casting announcement of like Jessica Chastain's the cheetah. Cool. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but then, like, what else do you do other than announce, here's what we're doing until 2021. We're doing Batman and Flash in 2020. We're doing X and Y in 2021. Wash your hands. Hamada looks like a hero. Mm-hmm. Bringing yeah. structure. It makes sense. But that still seems like a long ways to wait without... I think we'll have more clarity by Comic-Con already at this point. For sure. Yeah, at least some kind of central thesis and blog post about what went wrong, what went went wrong, or uh, an addressing of concerns after the fallout of Justice League. Mm. And then a moving forward. I don't think there'll be like an official press. I I guarantee you whenever Hamada has a next, if he ever goes out to promote a movie in the next year or so, the very first thing he's going to be asked on every single circuit will be, what are you going to do with DC? What happened with DC? Yeah. What went wrong? How are you going to fix it? Um, that's where we'll get those answers. But I don't think, like, if, if we don't hear from Hamada till Comic-Con, I don't think he's going to come out on this big stage at Hall H and be like, all right, guys, so Jeff Johns and everybody really messed this sucker up, and now <laughs> I'm here to clean house and make all these changes. He'll He'll keep it light and more focused of, here's how we're going to... Here's what's next. Yeah. Don't worry about what's happened in the past. Here's what we're doing moving forward. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't think he'll take a spear to Jeff and like, you know, corporate executives and <laughs> right. say they were the problem. Steve Mnookin just torched everything, you know? So, but yeah, I do think there'll be some kind of, we didn't live up to the, live up to the promises, expectations, things like that. But we're excited about what we're going forward mm-hmm. with. And here's the next five years. Yeah. And I, Personally, I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on what New Line does moving forward because I'm sure Hamada is going to pull or even looking back what they've done recently. Because I, I mean, if you're Hamada and you, New Line's a very successful branch of Warner Brothers. Why would he not continue to mine people out of there, whether it be James Wan or David Sandberg or whoever else does anything over there. I mean, it makes sense that he would continue to bring people out of the smaller stage and bring them onto the big stage and hope that those same results, like all those kids in it probably going to lock up big roles in the next couple of years. All the people they cast in it too, probably the same thing. So, uh, I mean, yeah, bottom line is I think this is good news, but at the same time, it's too early to tell because, we still don't really know how this works um, in terms of the um, the pyramid of power over at Warner Brothers. It, does he have Kevin Feige-like power being like, all right, we're greenlighting this stuff. I just have to answer yeah. to um, mm-hmm. Bob Iger and Alan Horn. Or does he have to still go through not Kevin Suchihara, but also the board of directors and, you know, yeah. There's uh, shareholders this, and all that stuff to get this stuff greenlit. I like. I still have the impression of Warner Brothers being uh, 
a wooden boardroom, you know, dark men in black suits and men and women in like, you know, black attire mm-hmm. all across the boardroom, you know, smoking cigars, being like, all right, how much we can make out of this type of a deal. That's still the impression I have over at Warner Brothers. Okay. So the hope is that they're, they're locked away, sealed off from this, run, running the company and letting Amada and everyone else below, you know, make the, make the story decisions and the business decisions and not just telling them triple down on Batman or double down right. on, you know, also, you know, characters that we've already seen bled to death over mm-hmm. the last 15, 20 years. But again, if you're Hamada, you're fresh in the job. What are you going to be more interested in making and being like, okay, what's the better, safer hit that's going to guarantee I don't get fired after <laughs> yeah. a year or two. It's a good point. It will be Batman. It'll be a one. They're already doing the sequel to one woman, but mm-hmm. even another Superman, I think, what they will do um, is they'll not scrap a lot of those side projects like Lobo or Deadshot, but they're just going to push them to the side and be like, all right, let's continue to develop these. But our focus is on the justice league. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, sure. We set up that injustice, you know, tease at the end for Deathstroke, whatever. Fine. But we need to get a solo move for Batman. We need to figure out what's happening with Ben Affleck. We need to get Flashpoint. We need to get Green Lantern. We need to get Cyborg. We need to get Man of Steel 2. Yep. Like, we need to establish those characters first before we worry about, you know, what's happening with, you know, I don't even know who. Booster Gold. Right. That's that that's six years away at this point. Mm-hmm. Does it? That is no. not, you're not going to build your universe around Booster Gold. You're going to build it on the backs of your biggest stars. So, um, but then again, maybe Shazam's a huge hit next year, and then they're like, all right, obscure everything. Yeah. <laughs> you just never know. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's all the news we have this week. The Disaster Artist was a New Line movie, wasn't it? It was. Uh, it had, they, had a, they had a production credit in there. It was also A24s. So I don't know. Hmm. Oh, anyway. I mean, yeah, New Line is involved with many. I mean, New Line's involved with Creed, so, right. I mean... But anyway, two okay. thumbs up. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Hamada wasn't personally involved, but yeah. Um, so yeah, that's all we have this week in terms of news. Um, next week, I think we're going to be reviewing the post. Yes. Um, I think we we're supposed to get that mm-hmm. here in Indiana. Um, we're still waiting on Itania to go yeah, and to come was... here. It's apparently wide. So Margot Robbie says it says she says it's all across the nation. It's not. Nope. Sorry to sorry to tell you, Margo. It's not. They're li- you're lying. Uh, <laughs> it is not here. I'm not speaking with all the facts. Yes. Um, so hopefully we get that one soon. And I mean, other than that, we're getting caught up, and then we're still waiting on calling by your name and some other stuff. But then, you know, if we don't get Oscar movies soon, we're gonna be getting to like the Commuter yes. or <laughs> Proud Mary or uh, you know <laughs> some of our some of 2018's new releases, not some. 2017 stragglers we haven't got to yet so uh i yeah i believe it's gonna be the post next week you have to wait and see obviously um paddington and, 2 is out next week yeah as well. do you see the first paddington no oh it's so good but i hear it's so it's so good. it's so charming even better okay. um and i'm sure this one is well i didn't even realize sally hawkins was in paddington or paddington 2 until i was looking at her credits after watching shape of water and be like mm-hmm. wow this is yeah. crazy um so uh, I think I'll be the one to write the written review for the post next week. So uh, that should be up on Friday or Saturday next week as well. So uh, be sure to stay tuned on that. We'll be sharing a link and everything on Twitter, which you can find us at Friends and Film, also on 
Facebook, Friends of Film, all that stuff. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, as Josh said at the top of the show, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review because that would really help us out. Um, we're also launching this next week. The big question, separate show. Yeah. We're spinning it off. Our first Friends of Film spinoff going to attempt this. Um, and you guys are probably going to get that on Wednesday, I think. Um, and we're going to be tackling uh, some Jodie Foster comments this week. Uh, and our big question, just to preview and teach you guys a little bit for a couple of days, are superhero movies ruining cinema? So uh, <laughs> that could be a loaded conversation. Loaded question, yes, for sure. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to get into that. Um, that's all we have for this week. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can argue with me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film Podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to return next week for our view of The Post. <laughs> <laughs>